Now, 10 minutes after, well, 11 minutes now, 11 minutes after 5 o'clock, um, leaders from all over the world are gathering in Egypt this week for the annual Global Climate Talks at the 27th Congress of Parties. COP27 talks began yesterday and President Cyril Ramaphosa presented a new climate investment plan that could solve some of the energy issues in the country. The world leaders meet at a time where different countries are dealing with the unusual weather patterns and deciding on what direction to take with regard to energy. What are some of the pressing issues these world leaders should be focusing on as they engage on the, on the climate. We are now joined on the line by Catherine Robinson, who is the head of campaigns at Natural Justice. Catherine, good afternoon, and thank you so much for making time for us. I was reading a report um, on The Guardian, and it says that Greta Thunberg is not the only person who's not a fan of COP27, as it's being described as greenwashing and lying and cheating. What's your observation about how global leaders are responding to COP27, and could this at all be of influence about what happened after the Paris Agreement. Hi, Aldrin, uh, and hi to the listeners. Thanks, thanks for for inviting me. Um, yeah, I mean the, the COPs, the Conference of the Parties. Um, it is indeed a, a space where uh, oil and gas companies and the private sector have infiltrated and have been rolling back and, and undermining progress towards uh, climate justice for sure. Um, it is one of the multilateral spaces, human rights and multilateral spaces and developmental spaces that that is probably the most captured by corporations. Um, but we're seeing this across the board and across multilateral um, multilateral spaces where states come together to negotiate development, human rights, and, and in this case, climate justice. Um, so it, it is a frustrating place, um, and there is a lot of greenwashing, and there is a lot of uh, blocking, particularly by the global north, um, around uh, you know progressive moves towards mitigation, adaptation, and then loss and damage. Loss and damage is going to be high up on the agenda at, at COP27. So it, it in, indeed is a, is frustrating and, and can be quite a disempowering place, but mm. um, it's also an incredibly important place for activists and civil society and uh, environmental and human rights. Um, folks to, to mobilize and engage around if we are to 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 achieve a climate justice and a just energy transition. Yeah. What do you mean by being captured by corporate? Well, the multilateral spaces are spaces which are uh, which which are, are governed under the auspices of the UN. And basically it's the only place and negotiating space in the world where, where states have equal stakes, supposedly, uh, you know, one vote per state, right? Um, the, this is a space uh, around, that is dedicated to human rights and, and development. You know, we have the Commission on the Status of Women every year at March, in March to, to, to um, advance uh, gender justice across the world. We have the, the high-level political forum in July, which is around the Sustainable Development Goals. You know, we have the UNGA, um, and and we have the COP. Um, but unfortunately, we are seeing an increasing mobilizing of the of the private sector in these spaces. And and we must remember that the private sector and corporates, their metric for success is profit. It's not mm. human rights and development. Um, uh, and and what we're seeing uh, increasingly is, is is that corporations are coming into these spaces, 
and, and undermining uh, progressive human rights advancements and undermining progressive human rights and, and in this case ecological negotiations um, around, around climate justice. I mean, not so long ago, the World Economic Forum uh, signed an MOU with the United Nations. Um, we've seen attempts by one of the biggest fossil fuel companies in the world called BlackRock attempt to sign an MOU with UN Women. Um, these, <laughs> this is not a space for, uh, for profit making. This is a space for advancing human rights. And unfortunately, human rights and, and, and profit making are, are at odds. Yeah. So so while there is also this push to move away from fossil fuel and um, I guess living in, 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 in South Africa, the focus for us has been on the continent. I don't know if globally that has been the focus as well um, to look at the African continent. But if we look at the world's biggest polluters like China, the United States, India, Russia, what sort of commitments should be coming from them? Yeah, the biggest polluters, you know, the the the, the main ask by uh, climate justice advocates and human rights advocates, particularly in the global north, mm. um, centre around the principle of the of the primary kind of foundational principles of the Paris Climate Agreement, which is common but differentiated responsibilities and equity. And when you've got these climate criminals, and I'll I'll be honest with you, the the, the majority of them sit in in the global north. Um, and they, they are the countries who are actually blocking progressive language um, on, on human rights across the Paris Climate Agreement and its negotiations, and particularly around financing for loss and damage. Those are the countries that are blocking. It's the EU and it's the US and uh, the UK, of course. Um, so, yeah, the, the, that, that, is, that is the reality. Although every single country needs to ramp up ambition and needs to, to move towards mitigation and adaptation, the reality is, is that Africa has contributed to a mere 4% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. And uh, here we are needing to, to adapt and mitigate. But we, on top of that, we're also facing extreme climate-induced disasters and loss and damage, um, and, as a lot of the countries are in the global south. Yeah. And we know that you know, countries in the global south, particularly southern Africa, are warming at double the, double the global average. Yeah. Um, so even if we don't meet the 1.5 degree warming limit, we're still going to see uh, disastrous loss and damage over the next few years. Then what sort of conversation should be taking place looking into how geopolitics also influences um, energy decisions, for instance, and looking at um, the Russia invasion of Ukraine and how it has now also led uh, to Germany, for instance, starting to fire up again their old coal plants? Yeah, I mean, the reality is that Africa has been experiencing um, an energy crisis for decades that long predated um, the the, the uh, Ukraine-Russia conflict. Um, it's 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 long predated that South Africa has been going through rolling blackouts and load shedding since 2007. Um, so energy access and energy justice on our continent um, is has a long history and and and. This, this flies in the face of the fact that, you know, this, this continent and particularly South Africa have a long history of extraction, uh, colonial extract, extraction, mining and extractivism, and that's never benefited the majority of the people in this country. Um, you know, and, and this is obviously exacerbated by uh, what Europeans are now calling an energy crisis where they can't afford to heat their homes. Um, 
and, and what's happening is indeed you, you're getting uh, countries rolling back on their commitments and their mitigation efforts, like Germany firing up their new coal plants. Um, and then also you've got Germany investing in, in uh, well, at least giving us finance and giving South Africa more financing. The, the reality is that Germany is one of the biggest investors of, of coal-fired power plants in this country. Um, so even though a lot of these Global North countries do a lot of um, do a lot of good work in their own countries, it's outside of their jurisdictions where they're investing in uh, fossil fuels that, that's impacting the Global South. Um, and unfortunately, what we're seeing now is this dash for Africa's gas. Um, we've been saying it for quite a long time that the, the, this conflict has, has certainly uh, escalated that, that dash for our oil and gas. And, and the reality is, you know, the African common position, which is highly contested and basically been rejected by African civil society and uh, some of the negotiators as well, is that this, this dash for our gas is only going to lock us into a fossil fuel future, more dirty power that's going to be externalized upon the people and, and the environment of this continent. And it's going to result in, it's, it's going to result in serious emissions and uh, further loss and damage for, for our continent. Yeah. And then just a final one is on the funding for the just transition and the president saying, I think it was on Friday, um, that the funding has actually decreased. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is, is the financing is always decreasing. The, the, the goal of $100 billion per year from 2020 has never really been achieved. Um, uh, also, with, the, with the, the financing that has come from the last COP, the 8.5, uh, you know, we're seeing that the, the commitments of, of how that money is going to be spent is going to be on more fossil fuels and upgrading our upgrading our electricity system so it's not clear what that means we should be using that money to transition uh, towards renewable energy and be investing in re- renewable and sustainable energy um, and 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 this is and this is what we're seeing i mean the, the adapt- adaptation is going to costs for africa um, the continent the, the cost of adaptation for the continent ranges between 260 billion us dollars and 407 billion us dollars over the next uh, over the next 10 years. So that's, that's between 26 and $41 billion required a year for adaptation. And then on top of that, um, we're, now, we're now estimating that the continent is going, to, is going to be facing the costs over the next 10 years of between 290 and 450 billion US dollars in loss and damage costs. That's responding to you know, climate disasters. So the money is dwindling. It's it's never really been there, and it's also not clear how that money is going to be spent and what and what the fine print is. Because the kind of climate finance that we need is climate finance without debt, uh, without interest. It should not be a loan. It should be ultimately a, a, a grant to these yeah. countries without any conditionalities from the global north and without any more debt from the global north. Thank you so much for your time. Catherine Robinson, the head of campaigns at Natural Justice. It's 22 minutes after 5 o'clock. We'll continue to take your calls on 086-000-2032 and your voice notes on 614 104